welcome to In Stitches, the upholstery podcast for upholsterers by an upholsterer, telling your story and inspiring others. My guest today is Ray Clark, and it's a very great pleasure to welcome you, Ray. <laughs> hi, hi, Robbie. Thank you very much. It's an honour to be invited on. So, great. <laughs> so, Ray, sort of question I've sort of been kicking off with is sort of when you were coming up to school leaving age, what were your first steps into being in the grown-up world, as we call it? <laughs> um, okay, first steps. Well, I mean, when I left when I left uh, school, I went straight into the art school system, and um, yeah, I wanted to become a fashion designer originally, or okay. at least have some sort of a, a creative outlet within fashion and textile design. I left um, secondary school, then I uh, did an ordinary national diploma at Hearts College of Art and Design, and that introduced me to textile design, graphic design, and um, yeah, I, I, I kind of gravitated towards uh, textile and um, design, and, and then on to fashion, and I got straight from that onto a degree at Ravensbourne, um, where we were studying fashion and textile design with my emphasis on menswear and printed textiles. Okay. So, um, so, so tell us a little bit about the, um, sort of the, the degree and, and sort of some of the, the processes that you went through. What, what, what are the, some of the, the things that you were, were key to? Because that, that must be quite interesting in terms of designing and, and so on, the, the process uh, that you went through. Yeah, it, it was, it, it, yeah, some of the process involved, well, first of all, just being introduced to this, the industrial sewing machine and yep. using, uh, learning how to use a, a piping for, for things like this. Um, and then we were given small tasks on how to you know, make small garments, pockets, and we were learning how to do zips and then do darts and tucks. And, and then there came a bit of tailoring. Um, yep. Then there was draping on the stand. And at the time, like I was inspired by fashion designers like Joe Casey Hayford and Bruce Oldfield. And oh, okay. um, I thought I could kind of follow their kind of career directory, directory trajectories, can't get the word out. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, yeah, but the thing is after a year of, uh, of Ravensbourne, it was felt by the course leaders that I was probably more suited to do a course which was a bit closer to my level of um, experience. So I left after about a year and then did a high national diploma, went to Berkshire College of Art and Design and continued um, studying fashion and menswear textile design and uh, had a graduate collection there. <laughs> that was quite an eye-opening experience, having the first graduate kind of catwalk show, which was at the Business Design Centre in Islington. Oh, that must have been really exciting. It was, it was. So, so your, 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 your designs? Yeah, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Um, I mean, yeah, at the time I was interested in technology and tribalism um, particularly east african tribes okay um, i thought i'd try and bring the two together and mix in a bit of club culture which for me at the time was like rave culture and jungle and drum and bass music and things like this and it was a very very energetic very exciting um yeah. kind of collection but it was all menswear based but I was playing with um, the traditional menswear shapes. So there were some jackets and trousers and uh, tailored items, but there were also like sarongs and long printed 
kind of skirts as well. And yeah, so I was playing around with ideas around tribes and uh, technology and the prints uh, I came out with then were like, like circuit board prints mixed in with traditional tribal markings that you would find on East African tribes like the Takana, the Rindil, the Maasai. Yeah, it was, it was quite, quite really interesting. interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So what were your steps after that? Where did you go from that? It's because well, you, 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 you're in a bit of a, an exciting bubble at that point, weren't you? It, I was. I, mean, I came, out, I, came, I, came uh, I graduated and I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to become a fashion designer now. Let's just get yeah. to London and try and make it light work. So I came to London, must be like early, early, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. So where were you before London? Uh, between St Albans, which was my hometown, okay. and Shire lad, and um, Maidenhead and Berkshire. Oh, um, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, and Chislehurst as well, and Kent, when I was studying at Ravensbourne. But um, yeah, came to London and ended up in fashion retail, working for a um, big company, Diesel, just mainly in their flagship store in Covent Garden. And I couldn't get out of the shop floor. I wanted to get into like design yeah and I just kind of fell out of love with the retail but still wanted to still design and then I, a cycle courier came into the store one time and there was something about the way he looked which really inspired me I thought I'm going to do what he what he's doing so <laughs> I, so I became a cycle courier for a couple of years and rode for a number of different companies around the uh, central London and um, I used to, I didn't want to look like a lycra clad superhero, do you know what I mean? So I just... Well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine if you're doing a Tour de France and all that. But I just, no, I'm taking um, yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. I just wanted to, um, so I started making some of my own kind of leisure wear, if you will, but for cycling in. So like around the crotch area, I'd reinforce that pad and... And mm -hmm. had pockets everywhere because at the time of being career, you needed pockets, you needed to be able to put pens and notepads. And yeah, it was just before the the, the internet had had really took off. And yeah. um, I kind of got into the cycle community, the kind of career community. There was quite a, a camaraderie there, and yeah. um, they they would see some of the strange things I was wearing on my bike and they'd asked me if I'd make them some things as well and I thought right this is if I can't get a job with fashion company maybe I should start something start myself off and that's what inspired me to try and come up with a, a capsule collection uh, of like five or six items or for fashion urban cycle wear as you would call it yeah, I got some funding uh, from the Prince's Trust at the time because I was still young then. And, uh, <laughs> it's always helpful. It's always helpful, yeah. But I didn't know what I was doing. The, the business idea had folded. But during that process, I mean, I'd ridden around, I'd met a lot of people. And one of the people um, I'd met asked me if I was interested in, in recovering a couple of office chairs that um, they had at home I didn't have I said to them, I haven't got any experience you know I just you know I can sew a bit I can I can draw a bit she was like not phased by that she gave me an open brief she said just do what you like to the chairs just give them to me afterwards I took the chair, two office chairs home stripped them down 
and realised I really loved seeing how the chair was made and how uh, how I could sew. And if I couldn't apply my sense of design to like clothing, maybe I could do something with furniture. So I did these two chairs, and I realised while I was going through the process of upholstery. I mean, it's hardly upholstery. I mean. I was using a hand stapler and things like this, you know, to try and like fit covers on. I didn't know but, what. I was but you doing. got you got excited about about. I got I got totally totally wrapped. So I thought I want to get really good at this. I want to get good at this. So I thought like. I suppose in a way, right? It, it's kind of appealing to your. Um, it, there's a lot of boxes it was ticking in terms of design and and, and creativity, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just just thought yeah if I can do this to this these chairs I want to be really good at this and learn how to do this properly because I was aware that there was there were processes in the manufacturing and in the that I just really wanted to understand and learn so I um, at the time had contacted London Metropolitan University okay and the course tutor leader um, on the level two I think it was in furniture repair and traditional and modern upholstery was a gentleman by the name of Malcolm, Malcolm Hopkins. Yeah. The interview was really brief. I just basically took a portfolio with just a few pictures of the two chairs that I'd done and um, I was let onto the course and in the evenings I was working uh, as a bartender to help fund my way through the course. Yeah. So, so the the first steps. Do you, do you remember sort of like the, the first time you went to uh, Malcolm Hopkins? Do you remember the first time that you actually went in there and picked up a hammer and started learning the ropes? Do you remember those those early steps and, and how? Uh, that yeah, I can. I can just yeah, I can just remember going in there and and picking up a cabriole hammer and um, learning how. It took me a few guys to learn how to use a webbing stretcher. Um, first things we did were like a drop-in uh, seat pad, uh, just a, a stuffed pad. And then we had like the arm exercise where we were stitching a scroll around the arm. And um, and then we did a, a independently sprung front edge seat. I mean, at that point, I just, I was totally in, in, in enamored with the whole process. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to know more and more and more. And, and, and as I... Um, continued my studies in that regard just got deeper and deeper into into learning all the processes and um, so how long ago was this when, when uh, that would be 2004 okay yeah so I did the two I was one of the last um, kind of cohorts of students to go through the city and guilds AMUSF certificated course at that point I don't think they do the city and guilds ones anymore which is a shame there were, I mean, in my classroom, there were people like Avine Daly, uh, Anna Lockwood, and yeah, it was, I mean, the fact that there was only three guys in the, in the actual class, one of them being the tutor, no, four guys, including the tutor, uh, didn't phase me at all, because like, I'd come from that environment yeah, where a lot of students um who were so studying fa fashion were, were women so um yeah there was that oh uh, yeah i just i got really into learning the 
wanting to learn the traditional techniques and as much as I could absorb this brain could absorb anyway and I was inspired towards the end of my first year to try um, doing a few other bits for friend, close friends and because I was working nights as well in a few bars uh, one or two of the bar owners knew what I was doing and they kind of gave me small projects to do yeah uh, which got bigger and bigger um, and I started taking on more projects probably stuff I had no business taking on at that time but I, I did it anyway because I just thought like I, I just needed to learn um, yeah, that's I mean, the best way to learn, isn't it? Is um, well, it's, it's the best way to make big, make big mistakes. That's for sure. But I mean, oh, yeah. but that's how you that's how you learn, isn't it? By making mistakes. Yeah. As the projects got bigger, I remember I took on a job uh, doing this. Re it was like a, it was basically a giant, giant cushion, but it, it was all made out of leather and it had fluting, like horizontally fluted. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and it. And it was designed to plug in over an existing frame or an L-shaped frame, this section in this, in this um, bar in the West End. That took me age. I found myself so, so deep, getting deep uh, uh, in deep, deep water. I ended up going back to London there and like pestering the lecturers, trying to get like, I mean, uh, at the time when um, I did the level two, there was Martin, uh, Malcolm Hopkins, uh, Alex Law was all, also teaching oh, okay. yeah. there and then I knew I didn't know enough and I knew like there was a long way for me to go and still is to to absorb more information and understanding of the craft of upholstery so I ended up um, going from the level two to the level three and the level three the advanced stage I suppose you would call it was taught by Wendy Shorter before she started her enterprise out in courses farm there i just kept coming back i just kept coming back loved it just totally loved that, it's that passion isn't it that, that i think most of us that do the job really understand <laughs> that, that that sort of total immersion in it so you you've, you've mentioned several people there that you've worked with is there anyone that you continue to develop your skills with is there a, like a mentor that you, you constantly refer to occasionally i i pester wendy yeah, or I might contact Wendy. I I'd like to think of her as a mentor. Yeah, I'm still taken aback by her her strength. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like like literally physical strength. This is the thing. Uh, learning the craft. I mean, uh, you, you get used to using certain tools and processes, and then and then I I'd shake hands with some of my old friends, and I'd be like, Oh, Ray, you've been you know you've been you got a bit stronger and stuff, and all. Yeah, I'm using tools. Uh, the, th the thing about Wendy, she, I've just got this, even though we've never physically been in contact, I've just got this incredible sense of strength about her. I'd like to think of Wendy as a, as a mentor. And, um, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, one thing I'll pick you up on slightly is because I, I think there tends to be a misunderstanding between strength and technique. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've really, I'm, li I'm realizing this now. Yeah, it can be something that uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of term here, but I think for some females it can be uh, feel a threat that they're not strong enough. When in actual fact, it's got nothing to do with 
physical strength. I mean, no. it's, it's all about the technique. Yeah, it, it is much more about technique. And actually, um, what at the beginning when I started like practicing upholstery, I thought it was as much about brute force as it was about technique. Yeah. Now I'm thinking it's much less. Yeah. In fact, yeah. Yeah. I, it feels it feels like as I'm working on a frame, even if it's a, a modern frame, but um, particularly if I'm working on something which is quite old or the frame is quite old, there's a there's a how can I put it a deafness of touch, a very a kind of lightness that happens um, yeah. as you begin to. Uh, get used to handling certain materials and using certain tools. Yeah. It things become like lighter and more subtler. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what would you change in the trade? What would you What would you like to see different in the trade? What oh boy! Yeah. Um, <laughs> what would I change about the trade? You see, when I started, uh, I found pricing really difficult to handle because of my um, of my own lack of confidence about yeah. what I was doing. I mean, I'm aware that there are, there are lots of different people who practice upholstery in lots of different environments. So, um, because what we do is pretty bespoke, there isn't really a, how can I put it? There isn't are, you, are you talking about the, the um, sort of the, the educational piece behind actually? Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. And, and, yeah. I, I'm, I'm basically saying that uh, new people to, who come into the craft, um, more education needs to be done about those, that type of aspect of running a business or that type of aspect of being able to charge for one's... Uh, yeah, it's understanding um, your worth. Yeah, understanding your worth. And it's that, that I think that's the hardest part of running an upholstery business is understanding your own personal value because... It's, it's very, it, particularly if you're new to business, as I was when I started, it's the hardest thing to understand because you, you, you can get swallowed in your own financial beliefs. And also, like, I mean, weaknesses. it's difficult, but like when I started, I tr obviously realised I needed to get as much experience, work experience as possible. Yeah. I found it really hard to kind of probe employers or, or people who would give me work experience you know, I found it really hard to go to them and ask them, well, how much should this cost me? Or why should I do this and do it? Because I, I was aware that I was learning and also, you know, uh, taking up their time and or they were offering me time to improve. Um, I, I, in my experience, the ones I have done work experience for have been pretty open about what they were doing. But um yeah, I didn't. There's, that, there's a whole piece there around uh, uh, sort of the, the student versus the employer and, and how, how yeah, together. there is. That's, that's kind of what you're saying. So, yeah. going on to some other things, what, what what's the project that you're proudest of? What's the thing that you've done that you, you look at that and you think, yo? Mm. It, oh, it depends on what year I'm thinking of. This year. Pick I'm any year, it doesn't matter, just pick one. I'll pick this year. I'll pick. Uh, it will be. Um, it was a black. Two. It's actually a really large two seater, but it's probably seats three, like sofa. Um, it was in black, uh, cotton velvet, fully traditional, from the frame upwards. But I, I redesigned the inside back to have a, a vertical fluting, all 
traditionally stitched and stuffed. I'm proud of that because the customer, um, basically it's a legacy piece that went on to yeah. a customer and they were really pleased that I'd finally finished it. <laughs> and, um, and I was really happy because um, it really tests it. You know, some, some jobs really kind of push you to the very edge of your ability. Yes, you know, and I, I could really, I could really feel myself at that edge and having yeah. to go back and ask um, a number of different people for their advice and guidance. And at the same time, um, being able to bring in even less experienced uh, students along with me along that journey and they getting some benefit out of practicing on that piece as well. So there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of what into that and to actually load it into a van and then actually take it around to the client and then for the client to sit in it and to be really, really happy and the smiles on their faces. And that's just like, oh, can't beat that. That's just, that was brilliant. Yeah. But and so, and, and the other thing that I think is really interesting, bearing in mind your background in design and so on, is, is the, the arc that you, you, you're now sort of... Yeah, this is where, I, yeah. Really yeah. Really interesting fabrics you're producing. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about how that started. I mean, uh, I a rather obvious thing, but, but I, I think for a lot of people, that would be interesting to know a little bit about that. Okay, so ARC is all, has kind of grown organically and it continues to hopefully, it continues to do so. I'd started working from home, then I started uh, working in a workshop, um, having my own workshop space in 2009. It was like a shipping container and there was a period in that time where I just stopped, put down a hammer, picked up the drawing um, materials, brushes, pencils and stuff and I just started drawing. And it took a while for that to come out, but when it but it finally did. And then, like in 2016, um, I was approached by a TV company to uh, appear in one of their episodes, and I, I, I used that as an opportunity to finally um, bring the design completely out of me and onto paper, and then translated into fabric and applied to the piece that um, I was asked to recover for this TV show, Money for Nothing, BBC One. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, it, for that, it just ticked so many boxes. I mean, the piece in and of itself was had the double cheese logo in the frame, so that would have made it post uh, Second World War. Um, Sorry? Utility furniture. Yes, yes, yeah. thank you. That's what I'm looking for. Utility furniture. And um, yeah, for a long time, I held this ambition to actually get some of my illustrations and ideas down, not just onto paper, but into translated into fabric, translated into a print that could be used in the context of furniture. And that show gave me the opportunity to do that. And I was totally blown away by the by the by the response i just you know i mean to actually do it and actually do it within their budget which wasn't that great but whatever it was was quite an achievement for me as well yeah. and um it just inspired me to want to do more so yeah first came the monkeys which i've refined since uh, then i did um uh, what was called a galactic octopus and then the vultures 
Like, they are, they are, colors are so so electric. They're so alive. The colors. Oh, they've got a pop. They've got a pop. I love color. Yeah, they've, yeah. I've got to, got to make got, got, all the colors have to really pop. I mean, I don't want them to be garish, too garish, but they have to really like work on the eyes a bit. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, and I'm, it's a process that I'm still refining and working with this uh, print company as well. They, they've been amazing, really supportive. Um, Lemon Heads up in North London, shout out to them. Arc is this label, it's basically Atelier Ray Clark. Um, I want to take my designs and translate them into uh, fabrics and wallpapers and anything to do with soft furnishings. And it's just growing uh, slowly but surely. And yeah, I used the, the last six months, I suppose, the pandemic to kind of give me get some jobs out of the workshop and and actually try and focus on developing some more designs, which I hope to bring out real soon. So Okay. So, uh, so, so tell me what, what's the um what's the big goal for Ray Clark upholstery and, and also for, for ARC? I mean where where do you see yourself in sort of five, ten years time with that? What what's what uh, what's your what's your hairy ass goal? Where do you want to be? There's, there's lots of, uh, it's, oh, it's such a big list. Right. Well, I'll, I'll just, define, re refine it, not define it, refine okay, it. Right. Okay, so first, um, I'd like to uh, have an established range of at least five or six um, uh, print designs. Just, I'm going to stop you a minute. If <laughs> I've just started. Yeah, I know, but I want to ask this question. If people sure. want you to use your fabric, how do they get to you? They can purchase directly through the website at the moment. Okay, they can, fine. can contact me before I, I'm all over the socials, all over social media. They can do that. So I want to get five or six print designs um, ready uh, as the range develops. I'd like to have uh, a small team, you know, maybe four people around yeah. me who, who I can rely on to handle aspects of this, uh, all, all the all the creative aspects within the workshop itself, within the studio. I'd like to sell abroad more. I mean, I've, it's so, it was so nice a couple of years ago, I, I made these um, uh, patchwork African, it's waxwork print, fully compliant by the way, um, <laughs> stools, and I, they, and I went to New York and I was so like, like I thought, wow, this is, people are, you know, worldwide to begin to see what I'm doing. I think the TV thing um, raised my um, profile a little bit and um, enough people around the world or more people around the world are beginning to see what I do. So in five years, yeah, five or six print designs, maybe four, three or four employees, or at least I would like to think of as team members because, you know, and be able to come out with ever more interesting pieces of statement furniture, preferably featuring some of my own prints, but also using some of the most wonderful fabrics that, uh, that, I, that, I'm, that I'm drawn to that are out there as well. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to get, I want to, I want to be a member of the AMUSF. Is that, is that too much of a thing to ask on the, on the pod? On, yeah, so I, it'd be no, great. I, I, I think it's a simple question of applying, right? I don't think you need to uh, 
Oh, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if other people listening to this might feel this, but I, I, have, I have a reverence for um, those that have gone before me who, are, who in my eyes, are really like yourself and, and Wendy and Malcolm and Alex and I could go on. The, the ones who, they've got a really good eye, beautiful hand, good craft, great teaching, the Emmy, I've always been a bit, uh, what's the word, um, in awe of definitely of, of those kind of organisations and to be a member would be truly an honour and I, I, and I feel like I'd want to be the best I can be and operating at the best I am before I, I'm able to go in there and uh, there's still some uh, aspects of my craft um, and the way I do it which need refining but it's all, you know, it's all happening but uh, yeah, become part of the MUSF join, create a small team, have the five or six prints, be able to, I wouldn't say ex necessarily expand my client base, but find the people who are prepared to pay for the kind of art yeah. and craft that I produce. And I'm making roads, inroads into that. That's, that's happening. So, so, so in terms of um, you going sort of in a slightly different direction now in terms of you you when you you started up and, and, and what you you went through what would you you give as advice for students coming coming into this because because i mean obviously you, you you're on a a very interesting journey and mm. I, I just i think it'd be quite interesting to know your thoughts around what somebody that's just coming into the trade would would, would be thinking and, and looking for Okay, it depends on what they're it depends on what they're coming in to want to achieve for themselves. But I would say, from just from my own point of view, uh, my own experience, get as much experience as possible. Find upholsterers, uh, find people who you look up to in terms of their craft and their ability, and try and get as much work experience as possible. That's all I can say. Uh, also, uh, must know how to use the same machine at least be able to produce something of reasonable quality for, for themselves to give them that uh, sense yeah. of confidence I, for me for me when I was actually at London Met doing my level two at, I did feel like I was at a slight just a tiny just a slight advantage over the other students who hadn't used the same machine before yeah. having that experience uh, um, of being able to handle fabric and cut and sew, I think is invaluable in this craft. Just going back to what I was saying a bit, we were saying a bit earlier about being really heavy with tools and becoming refined and getting that experience at the beginning with as many different types of upholsters as possible. Doesn't matter, just get the experience, get your speed up, get your confidence and ability around using certain types of tools up as well. And that will give you uh, a good grounding, a good, a good sense of what you've, of being able to go for, you know, the thing that maybe might seem impossible to some people, but, but yeah, get, 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 get as much experience as possible. Um, I know it's difficult in this climate as well, because, but it, it, it's definitely valuable. It's, it's, it's uh, I can't, can't emphasize that enough, so. Okay, okay. Right, and the, the final question of the piece, <laughs> how do you like to relax outside of upholstery? What's your, what's your big thing to relax? There are a number of different things at the moment. I'm, I'm cycling around a bit myself still. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not like Tour de Francing or anything like you. Really, it's just um, just gets me from A to B. But just that little bit of exercise is good. I do meditate. I practice Vipassana and Anapana meditation as Torquay and Goenka. I think I started doing that in 2008 and it's just been really good to kind of bring me down, if you know what I mean. Not bring me down, but kind of um, calm me down. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? I'm in central London, I'm East London. Um, I do have a core group of friends who I, I am, am neighbours as well, the people I live around here. They're all wonderful people and it's great to spend an evening relaxing with friends. It's just a balm for my soul. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Ray, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Robbie. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. It's been, yeah, been brilliant. Welcome.